Well, happy Father's Day. Dad, you never know how much your legacy lasts and how impactful you are. Now, before we get into the message, I wanted to um, uh, share with you, you know, tomorrow our students leave for youth camp. And uh, it's going to be awesome. Um, I've gotten to talk with William so much about what's going to be happening. And what is really cool is that we are at capacity and like we put the camp together, like what, within the last month. And um, we've been praying. Yeah, you can praise the Lord. But what I really want to do is say thank you because because we put everything together so late, most of our students did not have much time at all to save up. Parents didn't have time to save up to, to send their students. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've just mentioned it a little bit from stage. We've put it in several emails that if you are willing to help, could you help? And um, I want to say that I was I was overwhelmed and blown away by the generosity. We, I, I knew what we needed, but I was hoping that, you know, $1,400, $1,600, dollars that people would be generous enough to give that. It was close, close to like $2,600 that you gave. And um, if you were one of those people who gave, I, I want you to know that the applause, it's not for you. We know that. It, it's for God. But... The legacy, what is going to happen over the next couple of days in the lives of these students, it is eternally beneficial. I promise you that students are going to come away from this camp, and I think we have like a total of 40 people going. Students are going to come away from this camp different, transformed. There's something special that happens when you're able to focus on God and think about God and not have your phones around you for several days. It's like this, this process of just, it's like a cleanse, you know? You're like getting your life right and, and what happens is you become open to what God wants to do. And you've made that possible, so thank you. And um, before we, we go on, would you just pray with me? Let's pray for these students. Let's pray for the leaders who are going that God would show up in an amazing way. Lord, thank you that I'm surrounded by so many people who are generous and we're willing to give sacrificially to help some of these students and leaders go. We're just, we're so deeply grateful. What we pray for, God, is that, that the next couple of days at camp would, would radically change some students' and leaders' lives for the kingdom, for you. God, I pray that, that your spirit is so present, you're intangible in these meetings, that, that students are drawn to you in a way they've never been drawn to you before. God, what we pray most is that, um, that eternal change happens. If there's students who don't know you, that they would choose to follow you, that God, this would be a time where students passionately choose to follow you with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you. You know, it's funny. There's such a huge contrast between Mother's Day a, week, a month ago and Father's Day today. You know, so I, I looked over there and I'm like, ah, wait, it's over here. By the way, if you can't see that screen, you can always turn around. That would make your neighbors feel really uncomfortable. It might be fun. Um, Mother's Day. You know, the definition is a day devoted to honoring moms for how great they are. And I mean, of course, that is the appropriate definition of Mother's Day. I think we did that. You know, we, we took those family portraits, and if you never downloaded yours, let us know. We'll send you the link. They're still available if you didn't get them. Um, I'd promised a message that would, that would 
be enjoyable for the men that, that the moms brought. And so I shared this story of Deborah, and we used some Star Wars comic book theme to kind of help explain the story. I had a blast. I know some of you did because you told me, but um, it doesn't matter. I had fun. I'm just kidding. It was great. Moms should be celebrated. But Father's Day, oh, Father's Day, it's usually defined as a day to beat up men for not doing a better job, right? That is the definition of so many Father's Day. And it's easy to beat up on dads because we know we have our issues. We, we know we don't measure up to the TV, some of the TV dads and movie dads of the past especially. We don't meet our family's expectations. We don't meet our own expectations. So, so we take the criticism. We take it. But the reality is, and we all know this, right? Nobody measures up. Nobody. That's why Jesus came, isn't it? He measured up for us. He paid the price we could never pay. So I say let's today, in this hour together, let's change the definition, not hour from now, I just mean hour together. Let's change the definition of Father's Day to a day to celebrate dads, period. Yeah, you can. Today we want to celebrate the gift of being a dad, the privilege of raising our kids and the unique standing that a dad has in their life. My prayer today is that, that this message, that, that our time together is inspiring for dads, that, that no matter how it's gone in the past, no matter what's happened, that even starting today, you can become or you can tar- start taking steps towards becoming the dad that God designed you to be. Because for most of us, for most of us, it's not too late See, I know this from experience because of my relationship with my dad. Now, I, I, I wanted to find a picture. My dad was a cop, and he was a, a, a cop on, you know, he was a motorcycle cop, and I had some pictures of that, and they were all okay, but still the one that touches my heart is this one. My dad, before he got married about, oh gosh, about 14 years ago to uh, my stepmom, and his name is Don. He is the cooler version. I'm the goofball, and he, he is the one who makes fun of the goofball. So um, I don't have a lot of memories of my dad growing up. I really don't. Um, There's some good ones. There was this time when when dad, uh, when the ice cream man passed our house and dad was like, get in the car. And we jumped in the car and he chased the ice cream man down so that I could get an ice cream. So I thought, I think back about it now and I realize he also got an ice cream. So the the motivation might've been suspect. But at the time, I felt very loved. Most... Most of the memories of my dad, the good memories, and I promise you, I was not abused in any way, but most of the good memories of my dad usually ended up with me bleeding or in the emergency room. I promise you, I've heard many stories that my mom and dad have told where um, we would go to the emergency room at Baptist Hospital in Miami, not a small hospital at all, and we would go in and the nurses would be like, hi, Donnie, it's good to see you. I promise this is true. I, I was in there that frequently I don't know how my mom ever had two more kids after me, but they did. My dad loved me. I have no doubt of that. My dad told me all the time. Every time we were together, he told me that he loved me. The thing is, though, that we weren't together that often. He was a police officer who worked a lot of overtime and a lot of off-duty jobs. There were several Christmases that he wasn't there, and um, he was always gone doing stuff. And I assume also that due to his job, Dad found it really hard to trust people. 
He was skeptical about everybody. He, every, he didn't trust anybody's motivation, and that included his family. This was, became especially evident to me when I was in high school. I chose to follow Jesus in high school. We, we did not grow up in a religious family at all. And so I started going to a youth group and uh, once in a while, but I went to this one event, and it was that event where, where the message of Jesus' love, God's love for me, and Jesus' death on the cross, it was shared in a very compelling way, and I, I couldn't help but say yes to that. And so I came home, and I remember my dad thought that night I had joined a cult. And I'm not kidding. He told me that. And then later on when I felt called to the ministry, that was like over the top. He is definitely in a cult. And then I started being a part of a church that had like small groups and stuff. And it's like, whoa, what is going on? It's true. Mom and dad got divorced when I was in 11th grade. Dad moved out. And so obviously I saw him less and he started working more. And our separation, you know, just again, it, the, it was just separation. It was time. It was not being near each other. We grew farther apart. When I moved away to college, I probably saw my dad two, three times in that four years. And it, it's, it's not that we didn't love each other. We absolutely did. It's just that we didn't need each other. You know, we, we, we had grown separate. We were doing life our own way and, and two di very different paths. I'm embarrassed to say that during most of my adult life, it wouldn't be a big deal if six or eight months would go by and we wouldn't talk to each other once on the phone or anything. And um, sadly, I think we were, both, we were both okay with that. That's just the way it was. But then 2014 happened, and everything changed. I was 43. I decided to go back to school to get my Ph.D., and I chose Liberty University. The only reason I chose Liberty was because it was a place where I could live anywhere in the United States, and I could travel to Liberty twice a semester for a week each time and take my classes but do all of my research wherever we lived. And so it, it was awesome. I, I did. I called my dad. I told him that where, where I was going to be going to school. And he's like, Liberty, that's fantastic. I live less than an hour from Liberty. And I had no idea. See, dad had moved from Florida to Virginia about 12, 13 years earlier, and I had never been to his house. I had no idea where he lived. So I started going to Liberty two weeks out of every semester. And during those two weeks, we just made it a point. Dad and I always had a meal together. And um, a couple of times I even stayed overnight at his house. And for the first time in my memory, we connected. We laughed so much. We shared tons of stories. We talked about God and why I chose the path that I did. He told me in one of these conversations that he was really proud to have a son who was a minister who could relate to normal people. That's what he used to say. <laughs> this went on for two years. <laughs> I practiced this this morning and I cried then too. And I was like, this is so bizarre. I, um, in October of 2016, my dad was told that he had cancer. And uh, he was convinced he was going to beat it. But in six weeks, he was dead. And in those six weeks, it just so happened, <laughs> thank you, Lord, that I was in liberty for two of those weeks, and I spent so much time with Dad. Here's what's crazy. You know what? <laughs> I really miss my dad. And if he had died a couple years earlier, I don't think that would be the case. So 
Why do I tell you this story? It's because my relationship with my dad, it didn't start great. He didn't abuse me. He didn't hurt me, except for those emergency room visits. <laughs> but we weren't close at all. I felt so diff diff distant from him. I, I, I felt like I was a disappointment to him because of my, my choosing Jesus and my, my career in ministry. But see, regardless of how the relationship began, regardless of how most of it happened, it ended well. It ended well, and I'm so grateful for that. And now I'm a dad myself, and I've come to realize that, I mean, for dads, for moms, for everybody, there's so many expectations, yet I never received the manual. I don't know what a good dad looks like all the time. I struggle to know what success is as a dad. And so even as a dad, I've often felt guilty. I felt like I don't measure up either. And I'm a pastor. I mean, people come to me for counseling, or at least they did until this message, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to come now. <sighs> but here's the secret. Here's the secret I've learned. It's a secret that I experienced with my dad. You know, we've messed up. We've been selfish. Maybe we've said some hurtful things to our wife and our kids. But here's the deal. Here's the secret. For most dads, for most, it's not too late. See, whether our kids are toddlers or are teenagers, whether our kids have grown up and moved on and they have kids of their own, for most dads, it's not too late to begin to foster a relationship with our kids. It's not too late to ask for forgiveness, to work on restoring the relationship. And I think it's because even as adults, there's something in us. There's this God-given desire to know and connect with our dads. In my experience, most dads are completely unaware of our kids' capacity for forgiveness if we ask and if we give them time. But we, do, we need to humble ourselves, and we need to ask for that forgiveness. We need to get rid of our pride and admit to what we did wrong. Today, I want to look at a, um, an interesting chapter in the Bible, because this chapter records a number of heroes. This chapter is Hebrews uh, 11. It's called the faith chapter. But see, like all heroes... You know, you see the story, the heroic story of what happened. But if you hear the whole story, you realize how imperfect these perfect people are. They are not perfect at all. See, including the people that we're going to look at today in, in a list of heroes doesn't mean that they had it all together. All that it means is it emphasizes the importance of finishing well. Hebrews 11 lists this bunch of stories of men and women of faith. I want to just look at about three, uh, and I'm just going to run through them, just a summary, a big picture of the stories, because these people were so flawed. At some point, they trusted God, and they... ...Christianity and Islam, even. Um, it says it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. So, you know, it was like 2000 B.C., and Abraham, 
named Abram at the time, took his family on a 600-mile journey to a place he had never been before. And verse 9 says, And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his grandson, who inherited the same promise. So he saw the land, he lived in the land, but he never took possession of the land. Abraham, Abraham never owned the lamb, land, the lamb, the land. In verse 10, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a, a city designed and built by God. So Abraham was given this promise, this promise that he was going to be the father of a nation, of a people, a people of God. Yet he would never see the fulfillment of that promise in his lifetime. Now, if we took a couple of snapshots of Abraham's life, you would see some amazing, amazing pictures of faith. But if, if you looked at some other snapshots, you would see a picture of a man who truly sometimes struggled with faith. To protect himself, he lied about his relationship with his wife. Twice, he called her his sister so that because he, he was worried about being killed by, by somebody. He, he, one time, he slept with his servant and got her pregnant. And later, he abandoned the same servant and their son. Yet, Despite these, these big, big mistakes, he kept turning back to God. He kept coming back to what was good and what was right. He messed up, but he repented and he found forgiveness over and over. And today, Abraham is considered one of the greatest heroes of faith who have ever lived. Another picture in Hebrews 11. It's the picture of Moses. Yeah, I mean, Moses, one of the great men of faith in history. And in verse 24, it says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. I mean, and then the chapter, I'm not going to read it all because it's long, but it starts listing the great moments of Moses' leadership. You know, Passover and the 10 plagues and all of that, crossing the Red Sea. I mean, if you're not familiar with, with the, the whole story, you might think that Moses and even Abraham are just bigger than life. But the book of Hebrews that we're reading now, it was written to, you know, Hebrews, <laughs> Hebrew people, Jewish people, and Jewish people knew the whole story. I mean, Moses originally left Egypt. Why? Because he committed a murder. And, and though he faithfully led God's people to the promised land, he wasn't even allowed to go into the promised land because of sin. So how could Moses be called a man of faith? Because regardless of his mistakes... And there were many. He trusted God and he finished well. That is good news for all of us. One more quick picture. And then we're going to get to the, what I call the good stuff on this one. Verse 31. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Rahab starts out as a prostitute, 
But in the end, she's not only on the list of people of faith in Hebrews 11. Uh Uh-uh. She is also included in the lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew's gospel. She started out as a prostitute and ends up in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And these are only a fraction of the pictures that are given in Hebrews 11. It is amazing, this chapter. Before we're done today, I'm actually going to give you, uh, you know, I'm going to encourage you to read through chapter 11 and even give you uh, a devotion about it because this is a powerful, powerful chapter in Scripture. See, when, when the chapter was done, I need to explain something about the way the Bible was written. When the Bible was written, there were no chapters, no verse numbers, any of that. It was each, each book was like its own self-contained book that, did, that had no separation. It's just, you know, from beginning to end. And so in this, in this, um, in this passage, uh, chapter 12 is not like a separation. Chapter 12 it begins immediately after all of these heroes in chapter 11. And I want you to see what happens right after chapter 11. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, that's all of the people who were, who were just referred to in chapter 11, you know, dozen or more people. All of these people, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance this race that God has set before us. See, this cloud of witnesses, this, this crowd of witnesses in, in this version is all of these people who went before us, these men and women of faith. They had an amazing faith, yet they were not perfect like us. We're not perfect. They did so many things poorly. But at some point, they trusted God. At some point, they allowed God to change the direction of their life. They chose to run the race that God had set before them. So dads, this message is for you. And if you're not a dad, this message is for you too. This scripture says to strip off the weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let me ask you, What is slowing you down? What is keeping you from becoming the person God designed you to be? What is it? What's keeping you from being the father or the husband or the wife or the mother or the student or the friend, the follower of Jesus that you were designed to be? Maybe, I mean, are you spending especially for those of us in the in the you know in the working world, are you spending too much time away from home? Is your job more important than your family? Is it a weight that's slowing you down from becoming what God has designed for you to be? Are you so consumed with entertainment or hobbies or whatever else might take up your time? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe there's a sexual sin or or, or a struggle with porn. Anything that keeps you from becoming what God has designed you to be, anything that does that is sin. And it is a weight that burdens us as we run this, way, this race. Sin, it keeps us from experiencing life. It keeps us from winning this race that God has us running. So the writer of Hebrew, he says, 
to run with endurance this race. Run it with endurance. We are not in a sprint. This is a marathon. This takes perseverance. This takes discipline. It takes endurance. And how? I mean, okay, thanks, Don. Appreciate that. Run the race well. It takes perseverance, endurance. It takes discipline. But what does that look like? The writer of Hebrews tells us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We keep our eyes on Jesus. You, don't have, you didn't have a good example of a father? Maybe you don't know what success looks like? It's Okay. Your success is not dependent upon how you were raised or the people who came before you. Your success is dependent on keeping your eyes on Jesus, the champion, the perfecter of faith. We succeed by becoming like him and his spirit living in us is what gives us the ability to do that. Last part. It says, because of the joy awaiting him. Think about this. This is Jesus. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. That's us. Then you won't become weary and give up. Because of the joy, he endured the cross. See, Life is successful when we look to Jesus as the measure of success because Jesus loved. Jesus sacrificed himself. Died for us. And when we die to ourselves, we find life See, Jesus, he, he had the end in mind. That's the joy awaiting him. It was about the future. He was motivated by the future. He knew that he wasn't just influencing his disciples, those who were right around him. He was thinking about you and me. Jesus knew the generations who were going to follow. That's, that's what gave him joy as he was going to the cross. And through his death, he has paved the path for us that we can run this race victoriously. It's because Jesus died that we get to run the race and we can win. Amen. It's because of him. But Don, you don't know how bad I've messed up with my family. And I would say absolutely true. And neither Abraham, Moses, Rahab, they would probably say the same thing. So let me encourage you. With God, it's never too late to join the race. Never. I don't, Nick said it. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've become. It doesn't matter where you've come from. God invites you to say yes to him. God invites you to be his son or daughter. He, he wants to become, he wants you to become part of his family so bad that he endured a cross. It's never too late. It's never too late. And for most of us as dads, it's also not too late to become a hero to our kids. It is amazing to me. This message and my family last night renting the movie, I can only imagine. Totally not planned. We just rented it and watched it, and I was like, this is my message. This is the power of God 
to reunite. I mean, my dad and my relationship was not bad. It just wasn't good. And it ended very well. In this movie, and it, I'll, I put it up here, so rent it. Rent it today. This is the best Father's Day movie I've ever seen because their relationship, I don't want to ruin it for you, so no, no spoilers. Um, <clears throat> you see, dads, we're often offered more grace than we could ever imagine. I heard a man tell a story. It was in a church, gosh, 12 years ago or something like that. He, uh, he was talking about how when he was seven years old, his dad put his hand on his knee to comfort him. This was the only memory he had of his dad ever touching him in a comforting way, ever. Seven years old, this was an adult sharing the story. But he wasn't complaining. He was so grateful that that single touch was so powerful for him. He said he would never forget it. He wasn't complaining at all. A dad touches him one time in love, just comforting, put his hand on his knee. It is one of his best memories ever. A man named Pat was invited to speak to some kids at a detention center. And you know how detention centers are. All the kids, you know, they're between like four and 17 years old. Most of them had been involved in gang activity. Uh, some of them had, were there for murder. Some were there for rape. Some of them were there, for, all of them for drugs. Some were there for armed robbery. When Pat arrived, he was there just to speak to these kids. He handed each kid a name tag. Halfway through his message, Pat got down on one knee next to the closest young man, and he read their name tag. He looked in their eyes, and he said these words. He said, to Carlos, he said, Carlos Riviera, God knows your name and he loves you very much. He made you. He knows every word you speak before it leaves your tongue. He knows when you sit and when you rise. He knows your thoughts from afar. He knows everything you've ever done and he wants to forgive you. He's waiting for you to open yourself up to him. God wants to adopt you and be your true father. You can change your life. Do you understand this? And Carlos nodded. There were a few snickers, but Pat moved on to the very next boy and he did the same thing. By the fourth or fifth boy, you could hear a pin drop in the place. When they finished the meeting, Pat said, listen guys, I'm a hugger. If anybody needs a hug, come on up and get one. Twelve young men immediately got in line to get hugs from Pat before they went back to their cell. Dads, you are God's hands to your children. You are his face. You are his voice. Love them. Bless them. Play with them. Let them see you smile. Dads, take your kids out one-on-one -on -one for a date. Maybe it's dinner and a movie. Maybe it's an afternoon of paintball or a theme park. Teach your kids, teach your girls what to expect, the kind of respect they should get from boys. Teach your boys how to respect girls, opening the door for them, honoring them in your talk. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how you teach your, your kids what to expect or how to respect people? Do it to your wife. Talk to, with her, talk to her with respect. Revere her. That's the best way to teach your kids. The best gift any man could give their children is to love their moms well. Spend time together as a family. I beg of you, church, make time to eat dinner together as a family. I'm not saying you have to do it every night because sometimes you're here. <laughs> you can't do it every night. 
But when you do, sit at the dinner table, turn off the TV, talk, maybe schedule a family night together, order pizza, play games. The dinner table is one of those amazing places to teach your kids how to love Jesus. Pray together before meals. Go around and allow different people to pray each, you know, every time you sit down, have somebody different pray. Teach your kids how to pray in public because if I asked right now, if we started going up and down the, uh, the rows, people would leave before they pray in public. They would just not care because they're so scared because often we just haven't been taught that you're not praying to each other. You're praying to God and he is okay with what you say. Pick a small passage of scripture. Read it together. Discuss it. You know, if your kids are older, I found this, this seven-day devotion called Faith of Our Fathers, even though it talks about mothers too, but, you know, it's, it looks cool. Faith of Our Fathers, it's a devotion that goes through several of the characters in Hebrews 11. It's a very short devotional reading with some discussion questions. Perfect for sitting down at the dinner table, read through the little discussion, and then just ask the questions as you eat. I encourage you, it might, maybe you're busy, maybe it takes seven weeks or 14 weeks to get through the whole thing. I say it's better than nothing. It's awesome. It's okay. I also want to encourage you to invite your kids to serve alongside you if you have kids who are still living at home. You know, there was a couple in our cafe team um, a couple years ago. She, all, her and her husband, they were headed up one of our cafe teams. So they worked once a month, and they always invited their young son, Brandon, to be a part of helping them. And so they'd be doing everything, and Brandon would be the ones who, he'd take out coffee, or he'd take out some of the, uh, the donuts or whatever, and set them up. And you could always tell when this family was serving, when it was their week, because Brandon always had the powdered donuts around his mouth, you know, that he was serving so well but it was beautiful and they were teaching their son that that being a part of a church is not consuming but it's participating now maybe you're not a dad or maybe you did not have an, a good example of a dad and maybe that's an understatement some of us in this room have been abused by our dads some have been abandoned by our dads and you're mad and you have a right to be mad because you were robbed. You were robbed of the way a dad should be. How you were treated is not okay. It's not. But here's what I know. Like we sang earlier, there is a father in heaven who created you. He's been pursuing you your entire life. He knows the pain you've been through. He was there, and he deeply wants to heal your heart. He does. He even has the power. The Father in heaven has the power to take your horrible experiences and he can even bring about good that would have never happened had you not gone through them. I'm not saying it's okay you went through them. It's not. It's terrible. But God is so good that he can, he can make something from that mess that could have never happened. That's how good God is. That is a God who is inviting you to know him and to walk with him and to deeply relate to him. He is, a, he is a father, the father, and he invites you to be his son or daughter. As I close in prayer, 
I want to pray for dads. But I also want to pray for those of us who have been hurt by our dads. And maybe, maybe there is this, there is unforgiveness. And I want, to, I want to pray that God gives you the courage and the power to offer forgiveness when somebody doesn't deserve it. Just like God offered forgiveness to us when we didn't deserve it. And I want to pray that you, if you have not met your heavenly father, if you have not said yes to him, that today would be the day that your life changes forever. Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you for dads. Thank you for the dads in this room who are trying and they've worked and they've, they've never felt like they measured up. And I pray, God, that they hear today <laughs> that they don't need to measure up because you did. And I pray today that, that dads in this room are inspired and given courage to begin running that race the way you've designed it to be run. God, thank you that there is hope even now, no matter what's come before us. But Lord, I also want to pray for the people in this room who've had really bad experiences with their dads. Maybe it's caused them to, to not be able to trust people or, or not be able to trust men or I don't even know. But God, I pray that in a, in a special way that today begins, it's the day that begins the path of healing that today begins the journey of restoration. God, I pray that you help them, that, that, that there are people in, the room, in this room who they have known they've needed to forgive their fathers, but they haven't been able, to, been able to. I pray today that you help them begin that journey. And whether it requires them going to counseling or it requires them to, to share with somebody so that they're not walking alone, I pray that that begins today. And then finally, Lord, there are people in this room, men, women, children, Maybe they've never said yes to you. Maybe they've never chosen to follow you. Oh God, I pray that you draw them in today. Help them to see that life, that running this race is only possible because of what you have done and that you continually invite them to be a part of your family, to be your son or daughter.